Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Well, hey, how's everybody doing? Great to see you this weekend, and uh, greetings to our Windsor campus as well, who are joining us, and also to all of those wonderful people in our tradition service as well. It's great to have you with us, and of course, if you're joining us online this weekend, it's great to have you uh, with us too. Two very quick things I just need to mention. Um, Up until about two years ago, my wife Kay and I were leading trips to London, Israel, and Jordan, and... uh, some things happened to prevent that from taking place. You probably noticed that, I think, over the last couple of years. And we're planning another one in November and then possibly another one the following April. So if you'd like to know more about that, this Sunday at 6 uh, at the Timberline Road campus in room 201, 6 o'clock, it will be about a 45-minute informational meeting. Uh, Then do uh, come along to that. And the only other thing is the bookshop here at Timberline Road has asked me to mention that the latest Life with Lucas Bible notes have just arrived from England. Uh, they start from April onwards, but don't wait because they're, they're going really quickly. Thank you, sir. So uh, that's what's happening. So this weekend, we begin a brand new series, Mirror, Mirror, Moments of Reflection. What's all that about? Well, we are looking at episodes in the Bible where people went from two mirror image moments, if you will. They were life-changing episodes, and we're going to see what we can learn and apply for our own lives as we do that. Now, for this first weekend message, our theme is fire to fire. Fire (laughs) to fire. The entire team have been praying all week because they know it's going to hurt my face to pronounce it fire. So that's probably the last time you'll hear it pronounced in the correct American way. I'm going to just say fire, which sounds like F-A-R, but hey, we invented it, so let's just go with it. (laughs) John 18 and verse 15 through 18 says this, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they'd made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And then a few days later, there's a a mirror episode, if you will. One of my favorite passages, actually my favorite passage in the New Testament, written about it and preached about it endlessly. It says this, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way, Simon Peter Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. 
So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, who was that? That was John. Who wrote this? Just saying. It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. If you've been part of the Timberline family for any amount of time, you will have heard me constantly refer to the fact that I am really good at getting lost. And you say, why do you mention it so much? It's because I get lost so much. And uh, we have, uh, you know, we've got maps in our phones, you know, the GPS thing, and I've got this British chap who turns, tells me to turn right, turn left, and my wife Kay has got this Australian surfer dude with a six-pack. <laughs> Can't think why that happens, but... We've got the GPS maps, and uh, we've got sat-nav in our car, but we are often lost together. We have a pretty good marriage, but I've often said we occasionally experience navigational tension. Anyone here identify with that? Some of you are nudging each other right now. I'd invite you to come forward for prayer, but you'd get lost on the way now, wouldn't you? <laughs> Feeling lost, it's a feeling that I often experience. In the immediate hours and days after the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples felt lost. This was not, he is risen, hooray, head butter tambourine, let's go change the world. No, it was not that. When you look at some of the direct quotes, and I'll share some with you, direct quotes from the New Testament that describe their mood, it's obvious that they were bewildered, fearful, lost. Here are some statements the New Testament makes about that immediate period following the resurrection. Statements about the disciples. They were startled, frightened. They thought they'd seen a ghost. They were troubled, doubting. They needed to have their minds open to understand. They were afraid, yet filled with joy. They worshipped, but some doubted. They were trembling, bewildered, and afraid. They did not believe. They stubbornly refused to believe. They gathered fearfully behind locked doors. They were feeling lost. And after some initial experiences around the Easter day and some others, there was then a week of nothing from Jesus. They don't hear from Jesus for a week, if I get my resurrection chronology correct. And, and then now, in the very early hours of the morning, they meet him, but I would, I would be confident to tell you that they didn't expect to meet him that day. 
You see, this was Tabgah in Galilee. And Jesus had told them to go to Galilee and that he would meet them there. But he told them that he would meet them on a mountain. And he did later. You read about that in Matthew 28. But this was an unannounced meeting that happened 68 miles from Jerusalem. And they're weary. In Galilee, you would fish at night and sell the catch, hopefully, in the morning. John, in his gospel, uses darkness and light like an artist with a color palette, not only to describe the episode, but to paint the mood. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Judas goes out from Jesus by night. And so John is describing the shadowlands of this experience. And and Jesus shows up, and here's the thing, it's so ordinary. It's so ordinary. If I'd have been charged with organizing the choreography of the resurrection, it would have been a big deal that made the Super Bowl halftime show look like nothing. I'd have had Navy jets swooping overhead. I'd have had 64,000 angels with yellow fluorescent Doc Martins tap dancing on the beach. I would have had, he is written, risen, written in red, yellow, and blue in the sky. It would have been big. But he just shows up. And what's he doing? <laughs> He's cooking breakfast. What? He's just beaten the powers of death and hell. He's just navigated the greatest event in the history of the cosmos. And you can imagine a, cap, a couple of angels, British angels, <laughs> leaning over the parapet of heaven. And, and one says to the other, what doth our Lord doeth now? And the other one says, he cooketh breakfast. Because he's impersonating Prince Charles. <laughs> it's so... Ordinary. Now, and he, he's got fish. Now that meant he either went shopping or fishing. I mean, if you want to believe that he just stood on the shore and said, Tilapia, come forth. <laughs> you can believe that, but we're not told that. The beauty of this episode is that they are lost and he shows up and it's all so ordinary. I know what it is to feel lost. Full disclosure here, and again, you've heard me talk about this regulars over the years. I battled depression. I spent a year in clinical depression as a Christian leader. Didn't feel good. Some of my friends weren't that helpful. They'd previously been employed by Job. They said, so, you haven't got the victory. I said, apparently not. Well, what can we do to help sort you out? I felt like saying, how about going away forever? That would be a great start. Full disclosure, I wasn't sure whether I should say it. Last couple of years, for me, has been about camping on the edges of the Shadowlands, emotionally. Do I say that because I want you to sympathize or say something helpful? No, I say it because I want you to know that I'm in the journey. And in the last two years, with the global disaster of the pandemic, and now the horrors that are unfolding in Ukraine, we'll be focusing on that a little more later, and with apocalyptic fear and, frankly, headlines that we never thought we would see, 
People are afraid, feeling lost, sad. And we zoom in on Peter's story because he'd experienced fear. That's why he denied Jesus. He sees what's happening to Jesus. He knows that that can happen to him. The pressure brought fear. He's afraid. In fact, Matthew tells us this sobering statement. Then Jesus was arrested. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Why did they do that? They were afraid. And fear led Peter into shame. More about that in a moment. And he's sad. Matthew 26, verse 75, after he denies Jesus, we read, he went outside and he wept bitterly. And the Greek word there means an audible outburst, a loud sobbing. By a fire, Peter denied Jesus. By a fire, days later, Jesus restored Peter. Mirror image seen. So, so what can we learn? If you're following the outline, follow along with me. Well, first of all, let's see that self-confidence can be blinding. Self-confidence can be blinding. You see, Peter didn't know himself. He didn't know his limitations, his fragilities. He was a man with serious enthusiasm, but serious lack of self-awareness. In Matthew 26, 33, Jesus, Peter replied to Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He, he didn't know himself. It's been said, I heard it said this week, that common sense isn't all that common these days. And sometimes even people who are clever are not that wise. Perhaps you've witnessed that. A brilliant person renowned for their intelligence makes a disastrous life choice. In fact, it's been discovered that statistically, clever people not only make unwise decisions all of the time, but some studies suggest that clever people are more likely to blunder into disaster, particularly financially. And the reason for that is because they lack intellectual humility. They think they know. Overconfident, they believe in themselves too much. Do we, do we know ourselves? Are we overconfident. God doesn't want us to live sniveling lives, hesitant all the time, but he does also want us to know ourselves and not be overconfident in ourselves. Some years ago, I, um, I spotted a shirt that I've got a bit of a shirt problem. I need to go to Shirts Anonymous. Hi, I'm Jeff. I like shirts. Hi, Jeff. I spotted, this, um, I spotted this psychedelic shirt in the window of a store in England, and so I thought, I quite like that. And so I, I went in, the door ding announced my arrival, and the pre-adolescent chap behind the counter who had poured himself into skinny jeans that I feel were actually dangerous for his health, 
And he's standing there. He took one look at me. <laughs> and he said, looking for something a bit more trendy, are we, sir? <laughs> so I resisted the temptation to run. And uh, I tried the shirt on. He said, it's on sale. I thought, that's even better. I'll resist the fear that I have that I look like Joseph in his amazing Technicolor dream coat. And uh, throughout the I came out wearing the shirt, and I met various people during the day, and they complimented me on my fashion choice. But they had this; some of them had this little smirk on their faces, and I'm thinking, was this a bit too much? So I finally, at the end of the day, I got home, and I walked in, and Kay's standing there, and I walked in, and she 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 had some she reached for some sunglasses and put the sunglasses on, and then I did a little twirl to show her the full extent of the glorious shirt. And she burst out laughing because there was a huge label on the back that said, massively reduced, won't last. For the whole day. I had worn that. Everybody noticed but me. Everybody noticed that about me but me. What is it about us that... People can really obviously see, but we just don't see it. Our friends can really help us. I've been praying this prayer this week. Lord, show me me. And as I, before we move on to the next point, it might be this weekend that you're at a place where you're weary of trying to do life by yourself. You're not a follower of Jesus. And I want to tell you that you were designed, created to be in a relationship with him. Gasoline right now, I called back to England a few days ago, 11 bucks a gallon. Every time I come back from England, I go to the gas station, fill up, kneel on the ground, kiss it. But every now and again, I hear about people who put diesel in when they should have put gasoline. Messes up the engine. If, you're, if we're trying to live without Jesus, it's diesel in a gasoline tank. It's not going to work because it's not the way we were designed. We can change that. Secondly, failure isn't final. Failure isn't final. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Surely Peter felt ashamed. And we do know from Scripture, if you study it carefully, that Peter and Jesus had already had a private meeting. We don't know anything about it. It's described in Luke chapter 24 and 1 Corinthians 15. All we know is it happened on Easter Day. We don't know what they discussed. But I'm sure that Peter still felt desperately ashamed. And I think we can live with that too. Here's what we can do, we human beings. We define ourselves by our worst moments. And here's Peter and John out there fishing unsuccessfully. And if you study the New Testament, you'll see that Peter always takes action before John, and John always understands before Peter. So it's John, typically, who says, It is the Lord! Splash! Where'd he go? <laughs> John figures it out. Peter's heading for the beach. That's so typical. And he rushes up onto the beach, and there is a fire burning there. 
It's the same Greek word, it's the same Greek word that is used to describe the fire that Peter warmed his hands by. So what's going on here? Is Jesus tormenting Peter with the memory? No, I don't think so. I think a number of things are happening. First of all, Peter's realized his own limits. Jesus said, you don't have any fish, do you? That's what they were supposed to be good at. How many know it's not a good idea to go up to a fisherman who hasn't caught anything and say, you haven't got any fish, have you? That doesn't normally turn out well. They say, no, these professional fishermen, they've got limits. And then they sit down by the fire, and I suggest to you that Jesus is locating himself in Peter's story. You see, Peter is invited to sit by the fire and say three times, I love you. Ladies and gentlemen, shame silences our worship. But now, Jesus is inviting Peter once again to affirm his love, even as he feels the warmth of the flames. You see, that's what the forgiveness of God does. The forgiveness of God doesn't say, you know that thing you did? It doesn't really matter. It's not important. Don't worry about it. The forgiveness of God says, yes, you did that, didn't you? You feel the heat of the flames. But now, welcome back into a relationship of love. If it's true that we tend to define ourselves by our worst moments, when I think about my parenting skills, I think quickly about when I tried to teach my daughter to drive. It was not pretty. Proverbs 8.17 says, says, Ridest not in thy daughter's chariot, for it will not go well with thee. Some of you are writing that down. I made that up just then. I'm just kidding. But I wish it had been written that way, because I remember the tension and the, the raised voice occasionally. What is the worst episode of our lives that we tend to exclude when we think about being forgiven? Why don't sit down? Why don't we sit down by the fire with Jesus? Thirdly, we love because we are so loved. We love because we are so loved. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. I dropped a little hint earlier when I was doing the readings, but I I used to be a bit irritated with John. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Did he have a badge? He loves me more. He used to irritate me. But actually, I think it's rather wonderful because John actually doesn't mention himself by name. He just calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I think it's a wonderful possibility that John decided that the most important thing we needed to know about him was that he was loved by Jesus because it's the most important thing in life. And yet we Christians, we believe that God loves the world generally, but we can struggle to believe that God loves us personally and specifically. It's the one relationship that we have where nothing is hidden. He knows everything. It's the one relationship where he knows everything about us, including the bad stuff, but there's nothing bad about him, so there's nothing reciprocal in his knowing. 
the negative about us. He's completely pure and holy, and there's us still on the journey. But John celebrates that Jesus loves him. I wish we could just allow the Holy Spirit to filter that truth so deeply into our hearts so that that becomes the foundation upon which we build everything in life. His amazing love. Fourthly, we're called to more than survival. To more than survival. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? More than what? More than these? More than what? Well, the traditional view on that is that Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these disciples love me? These other disciples. But I doubt that, because Peter had already said, even if everybody else denies you, I won't. So why would Jesus ask Peter to potentially get into that deception again? Some commentators believe that when Jesus said, do you love me more than these, he was talking about fish. (laughs) Because there's a lot of fish in this story. I'm a useless fisherman. I try and take my grandsons fishing. We bait the hooks with pieces of chicken. We've never caught a thing. They laugh. There's a lot of fish in this story. I'm going fishing, said Peter. His friends designed to join him, decide to join him. John tells us how many fish they caught that night. Nothing. Jesus shows up and asks for a fish report and gives some supernatural net direction, and then a bumper catch follows, 153 fish wriggling around. It always makes me laugh, and I could go into this, but we haven't got time. Someone that day was sitting there counting fish. (laughs) The risen Jesus is cooking breakfast. Some dude over there, one of the disciples going, 48, 49, 50, 153 to Right. And then Jesus says, you love me more than these. Possibly it was the fish. You say, why would he say that? Well, fishing represented Peter's everyday existence. It meant security and predictability. Peter the fisherman wouldn't have to worry about the church or the purity of doctrine or anything nasty like martyrdom. Fishing represented the ordinary, getting up each day, doing your job, going home, nothing on TV for a couple of thousand years, another early to bed, do the same thing the next day. Sometimes I could be tempted by that. Sometimes I don't want a purpose-driven life. I don't want purpose. I don't want driven. I just want a life. And that can be a temptation for us all. But I want us to notice something, particularly this weekend and the place that we're at in the world. Jesus switches the metaphor from being a fisher of men. Do you remember back in Luke 5, another mirror episode, miraculous catch of fish again? Fisher of men. But now that metaphor is abandoned. You're not going to be a fisher of men. Actually, specifically, I mean, it's going to include that, but now you're going to be a shepherd of sheep. Fishing for Peter was about personal security, a family business. But now he was to care for people that he'd never met. 
He would be a shepherd and he would pay the ultimate price for it. I've just got a couple of other things to say in this message, but I believe there's an application for us in our lives right now in all that's going on the world, in the world. It is possible with the bombardment of the headlines and with all that we've navigated in the last couple of years for us to be overwhelmed with compassion fatigue. But we're called to be people as Peter was called to devote his life to the care of others and would ultimately lay down his life as he did that. So we are called to care too. And we wanted to take a moment with that in mind to reflect, to hear from some of our missionary friends who were dynamically part of this Timberline family sharing with us, I think, fuel for our prayers as we consider all that's going on in the Ukraine. Let's take a look. Our dear friends who've been assistants with our AG team for many years are currently sheltering in place at a local school together with approximately 500 families we hear. And they're passing the time by uh, preparing food for soldiers, having little sleep apart from the fact that of course there are bombs falling and so it's, it's hard to sleep, but they're also just extremely busy doing everything they can to assist those who are on the front lines. Um, we hear that there are multiple buildings around the city um, where multiple families are housed and in general families and people are just trying to come together in groups because in groups there is safety. Our friend Vera, who is the wife of the assistant who's been such a great friend, She's Ukrainian, of course, and she just has a heart of gold. She loves her country. And so we know she's asked the Lord, how can I help? And this is what she's been able to put her hands to, is to preparing food, doing whatever she can to help those that are on the front lines. This is totally her heart, but um, her son did send some pictures of her hands after cooking for these hundreds of people all blistered up and um, just hands that demonstrate love. The story of Vera is a beautiful story, but it's really just a micro picture of what is happening all over Ukraine in basements, bomb shelters everywhere. We're hearing the stories with orphanages where the directors have left and the church has taken over because the, the kids are there. They need help. Lord, we just pray for the soldiers on both sides, that the, the Russian soldiers are just young boys who also are full of fear. And I just pray, God, that you would bring an end to this, that you would frustrate plans of the aggressor, that you would uh, shut down equipment, that there'd be confusion, and that there would be uh, ultimately, peace, Lord. 
and we ask for your continued hand in Jesus' name. Can we say an amen? As Peter was called to devote his life to care, a shepherd, so we are called to care too. Well, there's two other things from this story. The, the next thing is that God wants our now. Not terribly good grammar on my part, but I think I can make the point. God wants our now. Because look at this stunning prophecy that Jesus gives to Peter. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I can't even begin to get my head around that because let's understand. Peter was going to live on prophetic death row for the rest of his life. But he was called to faithfulness. As I read that, I realize that even in these troubled times, we should be looking back and realizing that our Christian brothers and sisters in the early church lived under the continuous shadow of threat and trouble. And I pray, I pray it for you, I pray it for me, that we will navigate these seasons of uncertainty, the now in our lives, with faithfulness, even in responding to that video with prayer, with giving. But if we're going to do that well, and if Peter was to do that well, that's the last thing. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Just look at these last couple of verses. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. My sympathies are with Peter. Because he's just been told he's going to die a martyr's death. And here comes John, the disciple in Jesus' love. And I'd have said, what about him? Have you got a corker for him as well? And Jesus could have said, well, actually, Peter, yes, he is going to be exiled on Patmos, and they will try and boil him alive, but he will survive. Jesus could have said all of that, but he didn't. He's basically, you know what Jesus said effectively? He said, mind your own business. Follow me. If there is ever a time in our lives when we need to immerse ourselves in Scripture, spend time in quietness, and not get distracted with incidental trivia and questions that really don't matter much, this is the time. I found myself waking up each morning this week and I'm... I want to keep fully abreast of what's going on in our world because I don't want to be one of those Christians who's oblivious and ignoring what's going on. But I'm rationing my input of the news. I want to look at the news once a day and I want to pray. I, I don't want to bombard my mind with stuff that may or may not be true. I want to be fully informed and fully engaged and, and it's brought perspective to me. What really matters in my life 
kind of sharpens things, doesn't it? And the injunction to us is that in this and every season, we might fix our eyes on Jesus. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.